Good morning, I'm Susan Compostola Rita. Thank you, John, John, for asking me to leave this morning. Good? Okay. Um, I don't know a lot of you, so I, I would qualify anyway, which is always the first thing that I do. I didn't bring my album, but I do have photos on my phone. Um, I came into these rooms firstly in the 80s. I have 19 years and 10 months of abstinence and I am maintaining about 120 pound weight loss from my top weight of 250 pounds. And that is having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. That's why this has happened because I couldn't stop eating for a second, let alone an hour, 24 hours. And forget that I couldn't stop eating, I couldn't stop thinking about food non-stop. Every time I was uncomfortable, which could have been it rained, I thought you didn't like me, you looked at me funny, something happened at work, I had a flat tire, the solution was food. That was the only thing I knew how to do from a very, very young age. And that started out, food started out to be a shield of armor to protect me from certain emotions and certain things going on in my home. Um, it, it really is not to sound quirky, but beyond my wildest dreams that I can stand here in front of you consistently and look like this, not obsess over it and have relief. Um, and it is a testament to you know, the 12 steps. The foundation of my program is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I first read the doctor's opinion, I mean really read it and worked through it with somebody else, there I was, it was very, very clear to me that I'm biologically compulsed to eat certain foods. I'm a heroin addict with food. I'm very, very clear on that. And this is as dangerous for me as it is for somebody who is using heroin or alcohol because this disease does kill as well. Um, so I never knew anything about 12-step rooms until I moved here. And I think I went to my first meeting I moved here in August of 1982 and I think I went either right at the end of that year or the, the following year I went. Somebody took me and I, I dieted my whole life. I went up and down. I've lost 100 pounds many, many times. I'm a really good A student at sitting at the front of the room and getting it right. But I couldn't stay stopped. I didn't understand that I was powerless and I certainly didn't like the statement that my life was unmanageable. Um, because to me it didn't seem that way. I couldn't see what I couldn't see and I didn't know what I didn't know, which is an expression I heard from somebody a long, long time ago. And it's true because I just thought, well, I do my hair and makeup, I dress up, I show up, I'm a good employee, I did well in school, I make my bed, I do, I do nice things for other people, how is that unmanageable? But I didn't tell you about the craziness inside of my head when you left the room and how I was really, really feeling. And I never sat down and ate a meal in front of you because I'd eaten half the meal before you came or I left the restaurant and went and drove through somewhere. I didn't see that any of that was unmanageable. So I came here. I truly believe that God sent me to L.A. to find these rooms because I, I don't think I would have found them either. So I feel like my life was saved. So I came in and out for many, many years until 1999 and in between I did all kinds of things to lose weight and they all worked. They all worked, whether they were illegal drugs from off the street or going to some prestige doctor in Beverly Hills. They all work for regular folk. I am not a normal drinker. It gives you in the big book a description of how different people drink. Well, I'm, I'm the worst kind. I am the worst kind. I will steal your food from you. I will eat it. I will sneak it. I could have baked a whole cake in the car and you would never have known. And all my friends used to say to me, 
Doesn't I just don't guess it? We never see you eat. <laughs> and yeah, and it's always so shameful. I can only speak for where I come from. I never, you know, played with bulimia. I still don't like throwing up. And anorexia never came into it, but it was so shameful being fat. And you are treated a little bit differently. Um, and forget that, the physical manifestation and the discomfort. There is nothing spiritual about weighing 250 pounds when you live somewhere where it gets to over 100 degrees. Trust me, there is nothing, male, female or indifferent, your body does not feel good in the, in the summer, in the winter, but especially in the heat. It's really, really horrible. Um, so I came in and out of the rooms, in and out of the rooms, and as I always say, because we live in L.A., as I broadened my life here work-wise and I made new friends, everybody was in a 12-step fellowship. And most people, most people who I met were in AA. OA people seem to be more in the closet. They don't out themselves as much. Al-Anon's also very trendy, but OA, it's all like, shh, I have a pretty enough. So... Um, and I started just to hear people's stories who did look like me, who, again, I couldn't imagine that their lives would have been unmanageable because it was all about how it looked on the outside. If it looks pretty on the outside, it's good because I lived in a really pretty house and we closed the door and there was a lot of insanity behind the door, but you never saw it. <coughs> so that's how I learned to keep secrets about how things looked. My mom suffered from schizophrenia. She passed away last year, and she always looked good on the outside. You never knew, except on the days that she picked us up from school, and even where you may have thought that us kids had a bit of an odd mom, but otherwise, nobody knew. Everything looked pretty, so you just shut the door, and you don't discuss what goes on behind closed doors. Um, so I kept on coming in and out of the rooms. I primarily go to meetings in the valley, and I'd come in and out, and I'd come in and out, and everybody was still smiling, and everybody would hug you, and everybody would welcome you, and I would sit in the back, and my hair's naturally curly, and it was long, and I'd have my fringe all over my face just so that you couldn't see me, and I'd sneak out before the end. Um, but each time I came, something must have happened, because I kept on coming back. Something, I must have spiritually awakened somehow and it takes a long time for an oak tree to grow is all I can say so something happened um, and then the day finally came where I just couldn't succumb to the desire anymore you know those strange mental twists all of those old ideas one day I was truly out of them truly truly out of them and when you live out here in LA it, it's a market for dieting. I mean, you never have to run out of ideas. You can run out of money, but there's always a new idea around the corner. Um, so I came in and out. Um, my cousin moved away, and she got into OA, and she got thin, and she kept on coming back, and she was thin, and I kept on wanting to know what she ate, and she told me it wasn't about the food, and I just didn't get it. And today, if you are new, if you are struggling, I can tell you it actually isn't about the food. And it's a miracle, because again, it's about having a spiritual awakening as the result of working these steps, which I just never, ever got. So I finally saw that my life was unmanageable. I saw that what I was doing with food, I knew it wasn't normal. I knew it wasn't right. I definitely did, but I didn't know how to stop those behaviors. I just didn't know. My mom was a food addict. We used to diet together. I got diet pills at a very, very young age. So it was all about an apple and cottage cheese. That was the stuff. I have to be starving to eat an apple and cottage cheese today. I will tell you that because it just... Whoa. Um, 
It's just those thoughts of the insanity of what was happening to me at five, six, seven, eight years old. You know, all of that, but already that's what I was thinking. And I knew that when I went to ballet, my girlfriends had a freeway through the inside of their legs, and I didn't. You know, I knew. I knew that something I stood and they touched, and they just stood there. We'd go to birthday parties, and when the cake was coming out, I would physically get excited. I can remember that rush. And they would all just run outside and play in the garden. I didn't get it, so I became everybody's mother's helper so that I could have a good nosh on the way and eat half the cake. Um, I'm a real sneak. So I started to get scared. I was going up and up and up. I could feel myself getting angrier and angrier. I was doing well in work. I had a lot of friends, but I just wasn't comfortable. I was always like this. And I had this, you know, ominous warning we failed to heed. And I never wanted to end up like my mom. I just didn't. I know you're born, but there were just certain traits as well. And I, I, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to lock myself away with food. I don't want to have no friends. I don't want to do it. And so I, I made subconsciously that decision. And I finally made a phone call on August 6th of, you know, 1999. And asked this woman in Florida, I might add, because I wanted to let you know. Because it tells you to be, are you willing to go to any lengths? You're going to be fearless and thorough from the very start. So I thought I was going to be, but I thought, well, if she's not here, she won't bother me. And then when I, when I understand what they do, I can just go away. I still had a lurking notion that I could do this alone. And it's probably very normal, because really, who wants to stay here until you get here? And now you'd have to really, I don't think you pay me enough money to leave, to be honest with you. Um, I called her, I cried with her on the phone, I manipulated her, I begged her. She threw out these disgusting times in the morning to call her. She didn't know I was a morning person. It was fine. I did it. And I worked with her for over two years. I flew to Florida a couple of times and gave away my fifth step. I flew her here for, you know, to, as well. I think I flew her out on my 40th birthday. And she was very, very clear with me. At the time, she had 15 years. She used to weigh 350 pounds. She said, I only sponsor 100 pounders. This is just her story. I'm not saying this has to be right or wrong. And she said, and I, I don't sponsor women who won't put down flour and sugar. Just her story. However, for me, that resonated because I like loads and I like gallons. There's no in between. So once I started to go through the doctor's opinion with her, I realized why I couldn't have a slice why it just kept going and going and how I was just biologically compulsed. I just couldn't stop with those foods. So I agreed with her to do that. She told me the food plan, how, what she thought was best. She's not a nutritionist, but it, it was fine. I had dieted my whole life. I could probably go to school for a week and become a degreed nutritionist, as many of, you, as many of us probably could. But self-knowledge availed me minus zero, nothing. It didn't help me at all. It didn't. At the time, Weight Watchers used to give you ribbons, and when I moved three years ago, I can't even tell you, I had a stack about this thing. <laughs> just ribbons with the dates and the pounds and all of those things. So funny. But I used to leave and eat, because you had to celebrate getting a ribbon. Um, you used all your additional calories. So at the end of this conversation with Bonnie, she asked me what I was going to have for supper that night. And I remember this so clearly, which is why I always tell this part, I just felt drained my body because I thought, what is she talking about? It's Sunday. You don't start a diet on a Sunday. Everybody knows that you start on Monday. 
And I said, well, I, and she said to me, Susan, you spent an hour on the phone crying to me. If you don't tell me what you're going to eat tonight, you won't call me in the morning. And I can tell you she saved my life. And God must have spoken to me in that moment not to sound quirky because I said, okay, so what do you have? I, I like to cook, I enjoy to entertain, I always have food in my house. So I had everything that I was needed. And I am so, so, so grateful to her. Um, and I called her that next day and I can tell you I actually felt good in a different way not in that ego way of I'm going to beat that girl in this and I'm going to do that I felt a peace that somehow I had said okay okay like, you know in Bill's story where it says he was sober in italics because it wants they want us to really really see it that Ebby came to his all like that and it was like she was sober, she was graciously passing on to me what she had so generously been given. And that's what this is all about. And so we started working together, started to go through the steps, because I had read the big book many times, don't you know? <laughs> but I never had a pen, I never had a highlighter, I never just put myself in those stories. And for me, I don't have to change the word from alcohol to food, because it's, for me it's just all the same behaviors. There are the same losses in food addiction as there are in the other things. They may just, I may not get a DUI, but guess what? I drove with my knees enough, you know, eating, that really I could have caused an accident. Absolutely, no different. I wouldn't have been given a DUI, but I could have really gotten into trouble. Um, so we kept on working and working. Started to come to the front of the room. She told me that I three committed meetings a week I would tell her what I was going to eat every morning and again you don't have to do any of this this is just what works for me and it still does so I have no need to change it because I have peace around it all I like giving away my food in the morning so I don't have to think about it I take my breakfast and lunch and on some days my dinner to work if I have a meeting after work so I know what I'm going to eat and it takes the guessing out of it it gives all it does is give me more freedom and that's why I'm here is to live this big life with freedom from sitting at the bar, as it were. So she told me to get a service position. She said, some of them that you will need a certain amount of time for. She said that you can always, because we used to have coffee at a lot of meetings, she said you can always clean up a coffee cup. You can always say hello and ask somebody else how they are. That in itself is being of service. Always thank the speaker. Always see what you can do to help somebody else. Take phone numbers, make phone calls. And I still make phone calls today. I, I don't text just doesn't work for that for me because it just doesn't you can't hear me and if I really need you to help me you, you have to hear it in my voice I need that one-on-one -on -one connection with another food addict make three phone calls a day and ask other people how they are so I started doing all of this I started to take on more and more service positions and this is a funny thing as well and I'll just tell you this she didn't believe in taking chips at meetings she felt that the ego really, really got caught up in it and that people got so into how many days, how many days and this competition thing. And my sponsees all take chips, I'm not saying it, but for me at the time, I think it was actually a really, really good thing because all of those ribbons, all of those accolades, going to Nutrisystem, I did a photo shoot for them one time, all of that ego building stuff did nothing for me. It didn't spiritually awaken me. It didn't give me any conscious contact with anything other than myself. It consciously separated me and made me feel different to you and didn't let me hear that little whisper of somebody else who might have a better idea. 
So that I'm also very, very grateful for because I would have been all about killing to get those chips, get those chips. So if you struggle with that in days, I just say it because maybe, again, it can help, it can help you. And I, you know, we hear things in the strangest way that we don't even think are affecting us, which I know when I come to meetings. So today, fast forward, here we are. I'm very blessed to be in a normal size body because I really messed around and did silly things with pills and illegal drugs and all sorts of stuff. So I'm very, very grateful to have been taken care of. Um, I give a lot of service in this program, something that it's not hard for me. I have that A-type personality. I have that kind of a job. I'm the oldest of a lot of children. I, I know how certain things come, but where it's good is I'm not in charge so that's where it's good you know at work I have a certain personality in my family I play a certain role but when I come here I'm one of many I'm a worker among workers so I'm not saying to you I'm on this committee you do this it's like well what's your idea when would you like to get together again if you want us come that's great so that's really nice that I've learned to collaborate more with people really really nice um so I still go to three meetings a week. I'm currently in a year-long workshop again, working the steps with many, many other addicts. And it's really good and it's really, really hard work. It's really, really hard work in the respect of I sit there, I'm uncomfortable. I don't want the same people getting up to the mic. I want it to be fair. I don't want the person who's running the meeting to be so egotistical. I feel like he tells the women to go up to the microphone and not the men. And all of these things go through my mind. And I sit there and each week all of these thoughts lessen. Because again, I just give it away and I'm there to spiritually grow. Great, thank you. So, my life today is entirely different to what I would have thought. I thought, girl gets thin, Prince Charming comes in, Disney princess, doesn't work that way. Um, Maybe Prince has come along, but, <laughs> you know, it always looks very, very different. And you start to know what you like in a different way, and it isn't always that. Um, I work the steps diligently. I really, really do. I, I'm not here to get an MBA or be a superstar. I work them because they saved my life. I didn't do the steps once 20 years ago and I'm doing them now. I do them every year. I take that personal inventory. I don't wait till the night to do it. Sometimes I have to do it in between. I'm very fortunate in my company there are a couple of people who work there who are in OA. I get to have a little meeting and call people during the day if I want to. Um, I've had the honor, and it is an honor, of chairing the birthday party more than once. They all come this year, 2020. Diamond anniversary, 60 years. We're very excited. I gave John some bookmarks, and if you do want to volunteer or be a part of it, come and see me. John knows how to find me or not. Um, I have fixed relationships in these rooms. My relationship with my family is entirely different. My sister is also in these rooms, which, you know, we have a lot of pendulum swings in our relationship, but we get, we get to do this together. And we can both back away when things are getting heated up, and I'll go, you call your sponsor. she go, you call your <laughs> And we get to do this. I have a very, very close relationship with my nephew, who is going to be 20. He's never known me any other way. And he knows how we commit our food, and he always laughs about that. Um, we just have a, a joke about it because we do it in ounces, and he always says, 
did you two commit your OZs today? Um, so and he's just never seen me out any other way. He's never seen me insane with food, which is so amazing to me. Uh, my family is fully supportive of this. Um, over the years, I was able to not repair, but to be able to see my mom and have a different understanding for her mental illness and who she was. And because I, I had a lot of fantasy about that and anger and everything else, and unfortunately, she did instead pass away last year. And it was it jolted me in a very, very different way than I expected. And I'm so glad that I could feel those feelings and not act out on them that I've shared with her with my sponsors before, with my um, fellows, so that I had people to talk to. And that's another thing, I've never been without a sponsor in here. I no longer try to self-sponsor, I'm going to tell you, it does not work. It does not work whatever day of the week it does, because I always choose me and I'm always right. And that gets me to 250 pounds plus, and I have a healthy fear that 250 is just the setting off point. And in order to have that entire psychic change that it talks about in the doctor's opinion, I have to be in this every day. Before my feet hit the floor, I, I pray. I've learned something called the set-aside prayer to set aside everything I think I know. I think I know a lot, but I don't. Um, which is good. It really, really is good because that's what kept me out. That's where my life was unmanageable. That I thought that I knew everything, but I just didn't get that. I didn't get that. I know less of you than more of you in here, which is actually nice. Um, and I have deep friendships with several of you in here, which is really, really lovely. And I never wanted that. I thought I had enough friends. Well, I do, but I have friends in here who understand me in a way that my other friends, they just can't and they don't expect them to. They don't have those same jiggy feelings when life gets... They don't have that malady that I have over certain things. Um, so again, I'm eternally grateful. I always say yes to service when I can. What else do I do on a daily basis? Of course, I pray and I meditate. I pray a lot during the day, often, more often when I'm at work than not. Um, restraint of pen and tongue has become a big thing for me. I come from a big, loud family where we speak our minds. And I had something at work this week and I paused for 72 hours. Do you know that is, that is beyond gold medal? And I called the women in this program who know me and called my dad. Always called my dad and got through it and yesterday I confronted the issue with my boss and had my little notes and my piece of paper he's like okay 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 I'll fix it and he said thank you but had I gone in there on Tuesday it would have been just not good not good because I could feel my body sweating and going to that place of I know I'm right I was right however <laughs> I, I didn't have to go in there attacking I didn't have to do a game of thrones you know I could just go in there pleasantly and calmly I didn't eat over it and I didn't pad my food my absence is very black and white for me it's no flour no sugar and my food plan is three meals a day and a lot a lot of life in between so thank you for listening <laughs> Okay, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions I shared with you today are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcaster. Okie dokie. Hello. Uh, thank you so much for your share. 
Um, could you talk a little bit about your relationship with your higher power? Yes, the question is, can I talk a little bit about my relationship with my higher power? Um, I didn't have an issue with that when I came in. I don't have an issue with the word God. Um, and I do believe um, that something goes on when I, am, when I have that conscious contact with the God of my understanding as opposed to that, you know, a conscious separation. For example, the story I told you a little bit about work when I spoke, I could have separated easily in that moment. And while I was being spoken to about this particular subject, in that minute I, I could feel it. I could feel I was sweating on the back of my neck, I was clenching my fist, and I had to walk out of the office and say the serenity prayer several times, walking from one building to another building until I could get to my phone and make a phone call. So it, it's a constant dialogue all day long. And I think it's subconscious now, it really, really is. So, and I just know that I, I've been turned towards that sunlight of the spirit on a daily basis. You know, there aren't many days that I feel alone and not connected. Please. Sorry, I'm late, but um, it's okay. can you talk about your relationship with money and food? Can I talk a bit about my relationship with money and food? Yes, romance and finance, they always say those are the hardest things in the room. Mm -hmm. When, and I didn't actually mention that, whenever I used to get thin, I used to spend a ton of money. But I was never ever going to be fat again, so I threw out every piece of clothing, every single piece. And I liked to dress, and I liked fashion and pretty things, so I would go out and charge up all these credit cards, way up to the ceiling. And then in a few weeks, those clothes wouldn't fit. And it was this cycle, this cycle. So in, when I would diet, I would get high off of spending, because I had that hole. I had a God-sized hole that I needed to fill with the 12 steps, with having a spiritual awakening. And once I got into the rooms, I, I didn't actually have to go to another program. I just didn't have that desire. I wasn't looking to get high. Because I started to work the steps and the restoration sanity was on its way. It's still being worked on, but no, I don't overspend anymore. I have a nice savings account. I make a very good living, which I always did, but I don't... I just don't need to do it. I don't get high off of it anymore, is the bottom line. Don, did you have your hand? Yeah. Are you talking about the psychic change in the program and spiritual awakening? Can you talk about that process? Yes. Can I talk about having a psychic change and a spiritual awakening? Um, I think that a lot of that for me was setting aside everything that I think I knew. You know, all of that programming and all of that self obsessed fear of letting people in. I, I didn't grow up in a culture where you discussed everything. You come to America and everybody in the grocery line, they, they want to talk to you. We stand very rigid, we don't talk to you, we don't look left, we don't look right, people don't talk to you on the bus. Uh, when I go home, my family always says, could you stop being so American? <laughs> but you do do that here. So I think that some of it was letting go of the shame letting go of the shame and just knowing that there were so many people that I could identify with. It wasn't like to stand on the top of the building and tell you my business, but I just had to dig deep and from working in the steps. And by the time, you know, those first three steps, I was going through them the first time. I was just feeling those differences and feeling awake in a different way. And like I just said, not looking for it at Bloomingdale's or Nordstrom's. You know, I was looking for it in here. In my daily readers, I was 
saying, how could they have written that today? That's exactly what I want to hear. And I still do that now. It's like, I'm sure I didn't say that last year. <laughs> but it, then I realized, oh, you highlighted this page. Look at that. You marked it. I swear. So I, I think that, again, just, just working, and I just always think about those three words. He was sober, and I think the more sobriety I got, the more the change you know, is affected every day still. You know, I, I don't think there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to this, because if I did, that, that, that's an issue. So, yeah. yes, hello. You mentioned you were in, in and out of program for some years, and then at one point you got it. I mean, can you go into a little bit of why then there you got it? What, what was different? Sure. Um, I mentioned that I was in and out of the rooms for years, and he's asking what was different when I finally said okay, which was in 1999. So from, let's just call it the beginning of 1983, because I don't remember. So from 83 to 1999, because I had a lot of ego wrapped up in it. As I said, I didn't want to admit to you I was powerless, and I certainly didn't want to say that my life was unmanageable, and one day I got scared. One day I really got scared. I will tell you actually one thing I remember very, very clearly. I went, I used to live in Encino and I was in Gelson's and I was walking up and down the aisles and nothing was talking to me anymore. And I actually just bought toilet paper because I didn't want to leave the store and not buy anything. God forbid, how rude. So I, I can remember buying toilet paper and I was out of old ideas and it talks about that in the big book that you have to be out of old ideas and it took me many and I also knew that 250 wasn't going to be it because I always had this game and I say this is just my story so it's always the same I would never weigh 200 pounds I started out at 198 and the next day I was 203 so I was right and it, I, can clearly, I, can, I can clearly remember though those numbers. I can look at all my fat pictures and tell you exactly what I weighed, exactly what I weighed and when, because I remember the pain that went with it. And I'm glad. I'm glad that God has given me that gift to remember that. So, and today, again, I know I'd end up on one of those shows on the couch. I'd end up on one of those show, shows. I have no illusion, disillusion about that. Because I know that once I start eating, it's game on, and it gets worse, never better. It doesn't say it might be better, it says never. And if you look up the word never in the dictionary, never gets better. So. Thanks. Thanks. Um, if applicable, how did you deal with dysmorphia and body obsessions once you got to a normal body weight? Um, she's asking if I had any body dysmorphia when I got to a normal weight. Um, I didn't have dysmorphia because I'd gone down several times and maybe I stayed for two to three months the most. Um, I didn't care for the way certain things looked and I took care of that a year later. If you want to know more about that, you can ask me when we're not being recorded. Um, I can remember the walking past shop windows sometimes the longer I stayed looking like this and literally walking by and I'm like, is that still me? I'm walking backwards and I do remember one time I, I was shopping actually and with my dad in the changing room and I tried on a straight pencil skirt for work I was just gobsmacked by the way I looked in it and I can actually remember crying in the changing room but it was just it was more that I knew this was different this time it was, it was different 
So uh, again, it's uh, you know, is it odd or is it God? I think it's definitely God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Adam. Thank you, Richard. Can you tell me about um, the process you went through from step two, accepting step two, and going to step three, as far as turning your life and trusting God enough to turn your life over to God? Was there a process in that? Um, how did I go from step one, step two, trusting God? I think in the beginning I was so very, very vain over here, very vain. I was very ego-driven with how I looked. So I think that I, I didn't get it in the way I did. The first time around, I was just doing everything she said because I was feeling so good, I was feeling free, I was reading it. I'm not daft, I got it, but I didn't get it. I didn't feel it inside like I did maybe by five years. So that's why I always encourage people to don't just work the steps once every five years or say, well, I'm coming to a meeting, I'm working a step. No, you're really not. I'm talking about highlighting, reading, giving it away to somebody, reading your work. So I think that each time I did it, I had a different level, a different level of just like, that ease around it. Because as I did say, it wasn't that I didn't believe in God, but it was just, just letting God into everything. You know, in yoga they say this is a God-sized hole and, and it's a window to your soul. And I believe that and I don't have that. I was used to say when I got them before I had all those jiggy feelings and I didn't understand what they were. Even when, what was it, Will Smith get jiggy with me, whatever it was. <laughs> yes? How much fear contributes to your Can I talk about how much fear contributes towards my abstinence? Uh, constant? You constant? I, I don't. You're asking if I feel fear around losing my abstinence. Yeah. Um, I will honestly say that a day at a time, when I follow these steps, I, I don't feel any fear today around losing it. I when I nobody comes back from relapse and says, Susan, it was fantastic. Come <laughs> on. Okay, that that's the bottom line. So we come to meetings to identify, I go out there, I have a sponsor, I have my fellows, I pick up the big book and that's how I stay recovered, not cured, I stay recovered. So I don't have a fear of losing it, I have a fear, I feel sad when I see people come back in from relapse, when somebody's unrecognizable, and that, and like, that would just make me dig my heels and it's like, okay, one more time, there's, there's nothing out there for me. So I, I don't live in fear on a daily basis at all, if that is what you're asking. I, I'm pretty clear on my absence works for me, my food plan works for me. Um, so I, I hope that helps. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Could you talk about your experience with steps six and seven? Yes. Okay, six and seven, defects of character. That's good, because that was what was happening to me this week. <laughs> a lot. Um, and it said in one of the books this morning, I think it was for today, it said something about defects of character or looking, not putting yourself down or something. Sorry, I read it really early. Um, I, nobody likes to look at themselves in that way. But now, today, you know, in the beginning when I did my first fifth step with Bonnie and they're writing notes, not, just not like a therapist, but they're writing it down to help point out to you what they were, I kept thinking, what is she doing? What is she doing? And then, you know, she had this little list, and I can tell I was a little horrified. Because, you know, I felt like, didn't she hear everybody who wronged me? Um, so now, I, I know them all. 
and I work on them. You know, one of mine is, you know, restraint of pen and tongue. I have to be really, really careful, really, really careful, and I don't have to always be first in the ring with everyone. I don't have to be the first to volunteer. I can pause. So I've really worked on that a lot over the years. It certainly isn't perfect, but that's what it tells me. It's pro- I hear that, thank you. It's progress, not perfection. So I'm definitely a work in progress, and it is improving. How's that? Thank you. <laughs> oh, five. Oh, five. Michael. Okay, I thought you were done with me. You're welcome. I know you're not afraid of losing your, your abstinence, but what about like little fears that come up of dealing with life on life's terms? And maybe specifically how you have a fear of something and how you work through it and came out the other side. Okay. Um, talking about fears and if I don't have one of losing my absence, where are where are they? Um, I Definitely, I'm doing a fourth step right now in this workshop that I'm doing that's laid out in a very, very different way. And you really have to be beyond radically honest and we're told to literally be grandiose about how we feel about things. And what I'm seeing from what I've written sort of stays in here, what you see here. (laughs) Um, I have this fear of being left behind and alone. And some of that stems from things in my past Um, and it's really hard at this point in my life I think I'm 57 years old you know what what is going on here how can I still feel this way but there are certain things and, and I get to see that by not eating a day at a time and I have you know I have to really keep up out there in the outside world world at work. I have a great job. I've got to stay savvy on the this and on the that and da, 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 and it's always moving and I think, too many cricket, do I still have to do this? Yes, you do and I have to stay up with the times. So I have to stay relevant. So sometimes that can feel, I don't know if it's fearful but just overwhelming of like, oh my God, does it ever end? But no, it doesn't ever end. Um, when my mum passed away last year, I definitely had that feeling of an emptiness and not wanting to end up like her, which obviously psychologically I'm not, but she suffered with this disease and she was 5'2 and died wearing a size 26. She was either very anorexic and I can see how this disease can shut your life down and even though it's never done that to me, I have that, oh, you never know, the drop of a hat, the pendulum could swing. You don't know when something could happen that you could become disconnected. Um, so, you know, and then I also have to look at, you know, that false evidence appearing real because I don't like to look for things just to have them. I, I'm not that way. Um, so, yes, what's coming up in my current writing, and there's one other person here doing it so they can identify with the sheet, is that I just have this thing of being left alone. But the great thing is when you're in these rooms, you're never left alone because none of you would let me be left alone as I wouldn't let you be left alone we go there for each other which is an incredible gift so if you aren't in the center of the herd I suggest you gallop into it it's a great place to be Tara um, can you talk about how you incorporate meditation into your recovery? yes how do I incorporate meditation into my recovery? in the beginning it was really uncomfortable because I realized that I always have music on I'm always doing something I'm very Susie social I'm very chatty and 
in the beginning to sit quietly for three to five minutes was really uncomfortable. At the time I used to do a lot of yoga and they do shavasana at the end. And I realized that I was lying there, but I'm like, what am I going to do? I'm going to leave. I've got to pack my lunch. Then they used to say, close your eyes from top to bottom and do this. And I'm ding, 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 not listening. So I now, there's a lot of apps which are helpful. And I try and find the guided ones. You've got to find those good voices, though, because some of them are like, oh, please, I cannot listen to you. Just can't. This is not working. Be quiet. Um, so I, I just have found a way on the weekends. Normally, I'll do 10 to 20 minutes. This morning was only 10 because I had to have my tea and my breakfast before I came. Um, the weeks are definitely more rushed and I really have to silence myself so I'll tend in the morning to set the alarm for 15 minutes earlier so I can still lie in bed and do it because once I get out of bed I'm on that boom, 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 I just am. Um, and, and it gets better. I have a lot more quiet time than I used to. I realize I used to fill up my life with a lot of noise. So I can't see I'm old. So does that say I'm done? Yeah. Okay, I'm done. Thank you.